0: The shit You Love, the podcast, of the series, of the graphic novel, of the album, where I get to crap on about anything I like. Hello Intrepid Listener, my name is Damien and this is episode 3 of Only the Shit You Love, the podcast. This week, we're talking about episode three of the cartoon series, My Driverless Car is Driving Me to Distraction, featuring a guest cameo by the fabulous, talented, masters of surreal dagginess, Auntie Donna. This episode introduces our post-antihero, Marcel Proust. Let's examine the character of Marcel Proust, not the French author who in 1909 wrote A La Recherche du Temps perdu*. the other Marcel Proust. His real name, of course, is Waino O'Toole. Marcel is a pseudonym. Marcel's name is spelt with an extra L, as in M-A-R-C-E-L-L. Perhaps it symbolises that the character is imprisoned by a heartless, dystopian society, or indeed is a prisoner of his own failure. Or it could imply that the character is a tiny, unimportant component, a cell, if you will, in a larger, monolithic and inhumane societal structure. Or I can't spell Marcel. Anyway, Marcel Proust, with the double L, clearly appears not prepared to engage with the modern world. As we'll find out, Marcel is somewhat stuck in the past, which is completely fair enough, because the past is a great place to be the further it gets from you. We're going to start these happy vibes right from the root. Yes, like the man said, we're going to start these happy vibes right from the root. In this podcast series I'm going to dip into the past, fall into its random series of potholes and hopefully drag myself back out of them without too much mud splattered on my windscreen. Hopefully it's more of a cleansing sensation. Anyway, more of that later. You might have noticed that this is podcast episode 3 and we clearly seem to have skipped episode 2. Be not alarmed, listener. I decided to begin the YouTube series with a double episode. You know, like when you get some antibiotics and you have to start with a loading dose? Well, my shit starts with a loading dose too. So that meant episode one, the title track, plus episode two, featuring Here Comes the Disco Machine, the long overdue theme song of my wonderful band, The Disco Machine. started work on this series, The Disco Machine was alive and kicking, a somewhat sporadically appearing live act, featuring the talented and beautiful Andy, Beck, Emily, Gary, Gordon and Will, not to mention that chap Tony Martin. 2019 was the last time we all appeared live in public together, because unusual circumstances that I really don't need to waste everybody's time describing sort of got in the way. I hope to share a dark, noisy and cramped venue dressing room with them all again at some point. But in the meantime, you'll hear their wonderful singing and playing throughout the journey of this double album, various highlights of which I shall rhapsodise in due course. The name Disco Machine may to the newcomer be a somewhat misleading term. I say that because when you listen to only the shit you love in its entirety as an album at the end of the series – Well, I hope you do, if you've pledged yourself or bought yourself a copy, and it is meant to be appreciated as one continuous double album length bit of work, you might realise this ain't really a disco album. Not disco in the strictest 70s sense, or even disco in the wider sense, as in dance music of all denominations. Some of this album fits that description, but really, there's a whole lot of other shit going on here which is just how I like it. You might have noticed that I really fucking hate categories, and what I'm aiming for with this album is a piece of work that cherry-picks from various styles, but hopefully has a consistent feel and theme that ties it together. An album that sounds like me, is full of the stuff you might like if you like me, but also takes you off in some slightly unexpected directions. It certainly ain't a disco album. The very first Disco Machine album was a disco album, deliberately focused on my appropriation of 70s disco. Second, Get Your Dag On, expanded the feel to include 80s and 90s dance, but still had that dance floor pulse tying most of it together, in keeping with the disco machine's live identity as a party band. the Shit You Love has echoes of all the stuff I've done, from Tism to Root to the DC3, even my Versus Art album for Mona. And there's some dance music, which is pretty obvious if you've just listened to My Driverless Car is Driving Me to Distraction. So, Damien Cowell's Disco Machine is a description of whatever the fuck music I think is worth presenting to you. And of course... I hope you reckon it's up to scratch, too. Just quietly, I think it's the best work I've ever done, by a considerable margin. You, of course, have the right to disagree. We're gonna start this happy vibes right from the root. Yeah. At this point, I shall return to a question I flagrantly skirted around previously. Only the shit you love. What the fuck does it all mean? In my last podcast, I was talking about the title of this album and its origins, listening by chance to Melbourne Classic Hits radio station Gold 104.3 and hearing its positioning slogan, Only the hits you love. My first thought upon hearing that slogan was all the interpretations of that phrase that presumably were unintended by the people who commissioned it. I actually met its author by sheer chance, He was a pretty switched-on chap, so maybe he was making a massive, subversive, depth-charge situationist statement. I'd like to think that. See, to me, only the hitch you love is a fucking depressing phrase. It's like a sign out the front of a restaurant in some horrible tourist place like Kuda in Bali or Ibiza. Don't worry, we only serve Western food here. Don't worry, you won't have to eat foreign muck. No surprises, only the hitch you love. That's meant to be a comfort to potential listeners, and it uses the word only as a descriptor of exclusivity. Like, we've honed this playlist down, we've refined it until it is unsullied in its purity. We only use the highest quality beans to make our coffee. It's the fish that John West rejects that makes John West the best. Only is a word of strength. I only have eyes for you. only you, Only you. Only you can make all this seem right. But this is me we're talking about here, and am I gonna see the glass half full interpretation? Do you reckon? Me, the guy who often introduces himself by saying hi, it's only me. Yep, I'm the guy who thinks the word only can also be interpreted as a word of slight failure. Sorry, love, I know you had a craving for Vegemite, but I could only get Marmite. Sorry, love, I know you had a craving for Iggy Pop, but I could only get Tex Perkins. These amps only go up to ten. You know, that type of thing. So instead of all the fabulous music out there, music you know and like, and music you don't know but will still like, and your life will be immeasurably better for hearing it, instead of that, sorry... We've only got to hit your love. That's how I hear it. Sorry, only to hit your love. The announcers got their palms outward and a slight look of, don't blame me, I fucking told them it wouldn't be good enough, but you think they'd listen? Sorry, I've only got enough money to pay the main act tonight, so I can't pay you boys. But what about this instead of payment? How about I give you boys another gig here? That's what Peter Lindley said to me on the 11th of March in 1983. Who's Peter Lindley? Peter Lindley was once the guitarist in Secret Police. I used to go to see Secret Police all the time back in about 1979 before they became Little Heroes, got a record deal and went on Countdown. They used to play a lot at the London Tavern, a pub in Hawthorne Road Corfield, which used to have proper decent name bands on most nights of the week. My friends and I really liked going there and in fact that was where we first met Jack who was in a band called Private Club who we eventually poached to be in our band which was called I Can Run after the sort of snappy dialogue you'd get from characters like Dick and Dora in the Happy Venture Reader introductory book for Grade 1 Kids. One week I think I saw 11 bands at the London Tavern. Not a bad effort. Obviously the cover charge was pretty low. And Secret Police was one of our faves. They were kind of punk, but in a very non-threatening poppy sort of way. Choppy little guitar lines, catchy little tunes. You might remember Little Heroes One Perfect Day. One perfect day We'll be out walking Something is calling me Whoa. This perfect day, I can't stop thinking. Are you over there? Are you happy there? And tell me, never still raining there in England. And no mention of the London Tavern would be complete without reference to the Noisometer. Due to residential complaints, wasn't that a harbinger of the future, the band room at the London Tavern had a regulation about not exceeding a certain decibel level. And because bands aren't really the type of people who can be trusted as far as you can kick them, the proprietors of the London Tavern installed an ingenious device, which was a kind of an automatic decibel limiter attached to the power source that the PA was plugged into. So... Whenever the sound got above the decibel limit, the PA would immediately cut out and the band's volume suddenly disappeared and they would grind to an ignominious halt. Kind of like when you were at the filming of Countdown. Yes, listeners, I was there a couple of times. And the band would be miming and for whatever technical reason, the director said cut mid-song and suddenly all you could hear was the drummer slop, slop, slopping on detuned drumheads. Hilarious stuff. Doubly hilarious was the fact that the London Tavern helpfully installed a set of traffic lights. When the lights went into the red for more than a second or so, kapow, the PA went off. I presume it was for the benefit of the front of house mixing person so they could keep an eye on the lights and turn the master volume down if things got a bit hairy. But for the audience, it was great entertainment. The tension... As you saw that light flicker from amber to red. The excitement of impending doom. And I saw it happen to Skyhooks. This was Skyhooks without Sherl and Red. Skyhooks with some bloke out front called Tony on a hiding to nothing. Skyhooks promoting the career Nadir album that was hot for the Orient. Skyhooks playing to maybe a hundred people, if you're lucky, at the London Tavern. Skyhook's not long for this world. I remember them coming out and throwing ping-pong balls at the audience, which was kind of cool. All very well, until a few songs in, disaster. The red light, flickering tantalisingly through their opening number, goes on and stays on and, fatui, off goes the P.A. Songs stopped, a second or two later, the P.A. went back on and they resumed battle. But not for long, halfway through the next song, Jizz Bingo, the PA goes off. But this time, Greg McCainch, creator of some of Australian pop music's most iconic songs, throws his bass to the ground and stomps off, leaving the band to look at each other and slink off the stage. I felt like I was there at a moment in history, Skyhook's final dramatic demise as a band, Skyhook's end career after two songs, crowd riots. I could see the headlines in Duke magazine the following Monday as I inadvertently smeared newsprint ink across my face while devouring the rock news squashed amongst the commuters on the 815 Red Rattler from Springvale Station into the city for my deeply hated job as a junior clerk in the Department of Transport. But of course, that never happened. A few minutes after his inspiring act of hissy-fit rebellion, Greg McCainch led the members of the terminally ill Skyhooks back out onto the stage. The front-of-house person turned their PA volume down a little bit and they played a somewhat restrained set with the scent of resigned capitulation in the air. My friend Peter was there that night. He used to like Skyhooks as much or even more than me and I think it tattooed an indelible impression on our brains – one hundred people in the London Tavern is a decent crowd for most bands, but not when you're skyhooks. Like Kenny Rogers said, you gotta know when to fold 'em. We never wanted Tism to end up like that, and I guess we sorta of dodged that bullet. But I Can Run? Well, we would have dreamed of one hundred people in the London Tavern. Instead, Peter Lindley, the former guitarist of Secret Police, Now running the band night at the Marquee Hotel in Carlton after our somewhat shambolic set supporting Scar band No Nonsense where we got no response whatsoever from their tiny smattering of can't even be bothered to look like a rude boy following except for one girl who yelled out get off Peter Linley was telling us he couldn't afford to pay us but instead he'd offer us another gig. We never heard from him again. I guess we should have played Only the Hits Peter Loved. Only the hits you love. Of course, there is a third interpretation of that phrase, a sinister one. When I snap my fingers, you will wake up, and you will only respond in the way you have been instructed. Where do you get off telling me you play Only the Hits I Love? Who decided that I love them? Did you decide? No, no, that can't be right. I decided the hits I love, only I just didn't know that I decided. Welcome to the modern world. My wife Jane and I are driving past the construction site that is the Yarra Bend apartment shopping complex and we're saying to each other, I wonder if they'll have a cinema. One day later we're getting ads on our phones. Check out the luxury apartments now available at Yarra Bend. This kind of shit happens all the time. Now, before some of you start bombarding me with conspiracy theories, I just have a quick message. I'm not one of you. Please go somewhere else. You've got proof? Good. Terrific. I'm not interested. Right. Now that's out of the way. Let me return to only the hitch you love. What a wonderful, unintentionally ambiguous phrase. It's happy. It's sad. It's comforting. It's creepy. And there, wonderful listener, was the perfect way to tie up all the loose ends of my songs. The perfect conceptual sock drawer to house my ill-matched yet somehow united bunch of ideas. The perfect title for my next album. Except there's a typo. Instead of hits, I wrote shit. Sorry. Eyesight's not what it was. Only the shit you love. Am I hanging shit on the modern world, or am I hanging shit on nostalgia? Is only the shit you love meant to be good, or is it bad? The answer is, all of the above. Oh, before I leave you with that annoying non-cliffhanger, I should explain where we're going to start these happy vibes right from the root comes from. Yes, listener, it's time for my regular segment... Of Damien Cowell's Pop History Only the Bits I Love. Only the Bits I Love! We're gonna start this happy vibes right from the root. Yeah. It's my favorite spoken word intro in pop history. And who's it from? That's Osibisa. From the opening track of their self-titled 1971 album, Osibisa was a Ghanaian-English Afro-rock band founded in London in 1969 by expats from West Africa and the Caribbean. Their music is described as a fusion of African, rock, highlife, Caribbean, jazz rock, funk, Latin, R&B and prog. They kind of popularised the concept of world music back in the early 70s and this album, thanks to my groovy older sister, was on the turntable regularly in the Cowl House. What the fuck were kids from Springvale in the 70s doing listening to world music? It wasn't even a concept back then, no Womad and Peter Gabriel was still pouncing about in Genesis. Well, my older sister and her cool uni mates went to see Osibisa when they toured here and she loved it and bought the album, highlighted by the magnificently catchy Music for Gong Gong. get more tip-top white bread than me. So what drew me into liking this African band? The album cover, mateys. What else? You see, Ossibisa's first couple of albums featured artwork by a bloke called Roger Dean. Roger was the Brett Whiteley of Prog. His otherworldly spray-paint creations adorned the major albums by Prog Rock's poster band, Yes!, they were full of alien worlds with beautiful dry icy sort of lakes and strange upside down sods of earth floating through space and lots of hybrid species like a cathedral rocket and a budgy jet. We set out to rip off the Roger Dean style for the artwork on Tism's De Rigor Mortis. We had flying motor mowers in an alien world full of giant smoking wheelie bins. And the flying motor mowers were inspired by Roger the Dodger's artwork for the first two albums by Osibisa, which featured elephants flying through pink swampland on giant butterfly wings. I kid you not. The album cover looked so fucking awesome, I didn't notice that I was listening to a kind of music that was about as familiar to 20 View Road Springvale as a yam market in Benaway. So even if you don't like that kind of artwork... And especially if you don't like prog, you still might love Osibisa. I dare you to not want to jiggle your ass in time to music for Gong Gong. Give it a go. And I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Only the Shit You Love, the podcast. If you want to see the series or buy the music, go to campsite.bio.com. Forward slash Damian Cal DC. See you next time.